Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Well, hello everyone. Welcome back to the Booze Hustle, the podcast where we hear stories of people working in and around the wine and spirits industry and how they got their starts. I'm your host, Kristen, restaurant, hospitality, wine and spirit industry veteran for, I don't know, 20 years. Feels like forever. I've had some great feedback from our first episode of season four, so thank you. Uh, Thank you all for reaching out, and just a reminder that if you haven't yet, please make sure you subscribe, that you rate, review the show, like anywhere you listen, Um, and please share the podcast with your friends, okay? Stop gatekeeping cool shit. Uh, On this episode of The Booze Hustle, we talked to Seth Benheim, founder of Broken Barrel Whiskeys, as well as Infused Spirits a vodka and bitters company, started very much like Microsoft in the garage of his grandmother's house in 2012. Starting in an early age, Seth was an entrepreneur, and once he found a path, he became determined to reshape the liquor industry by stepping outside of the norms and creating new and unique offerings. For example, the Broken Barrel Whiskeys line utilized not only a mash bill, but an oak bill as well, a process of taking different barrel finished staves and adding them directly into a tank with whiskey for additional aging. The result is a myriad of unique, interesting flavor profiles, expressions. Today, his business has expanded, and you can find infused spirits and broken barrel whiskeys across the country. You can also hear Seth on a plethora of different podcasts, including his own from a few years back. And I really enjoyed my conversation with him. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Cheers. Thank you for uh, for joining me. I want to. I'm going to just be a weirdo and repeat this because I feel like this is important for the listeners to hear. Um, Seth just showed me his office, and there are seven hundred thousand bottles around him, and it's it's wild. It's like you're in in like Willy Wonka's <laughs> factory, but with booze. <laughs> How do you it, get it? It is done? a very fun. It is a very fun situation uh, to spend time in here. If you are interested in alcohol or like drinking alcohol this is a mm-hmm. great space to be in and spend some time um it's just an awesome little selection not little it's it's quite big it's, but. it's a large <laughs> selection there's nothing little about what's happening around you i actually thought you had a virtual background for a minute because it looked so like aesthetically oh, no. pleasing and i'm like holy shit that's real so nice nope. well done it's sir real. We, <laughs> We're one of the, I'm one of the lucky few who doesn't need the virtual background. I actually, I've got plenty of little knickknacks to see, and you know we got a, a real lamp, a real plant, yeah. <laughs> a real brick wall. Look at you! So it's cool. You're like a professional. Um, same for me. I don't use a virtual background. The only time it's ever problematic is if I have like parent-teacher conferences, and then it's a little awkward. But you know, 
just like uh, just just roll with it, you know. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure that when my kids are a little older and they've got those parent teacher conferences, if I have to zoom in from here, it's gonna be weird because <laughs> they're gonna be like. Dude, why are you at a bar? And I'm like, well, no, it's my office. It's not a bar. I mean, there is. I'm actually sitting. My my desk is a bar, mm-hmm. but then also there's another, uh, I don't know, ten foot bar in the other room. So there's multiple bars here at our office yeah. slash tasting well, believe, room. Believe it or not, um, teachers like to drink. I have learned this over the years. Uh, they're very interested in booze, so you know, I don't. I don't think you have to hide it. No shame. Um, so thank you for, thank you for being on the show. Um, I'm, I'm curious, have you actually ever heard this show or is this kind of like maiden voyage for you? (laughs) Maiden voyage. We're going in, we're going in eyes wide open. We're just, we're here to learn and I'm here to learn and, and, you know, get a sense of what you and this show is all about. And likewise, it's, this is not serious. This is not NPR. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not, I'm not like overly serious person. So I like to have a good laugh and good, you know, it's, it's what 12 o'clock here. I've got a glass of whiskey, Look at you. Just, just sitting there waiting to be, I mean, it's Friday. So can I tell you, okay. So I wanted to be a good, um, I don't know, good host for you and a good, you know, partner in this, in this endeavor we're upon here. So I wanted to make sure I tasted through, it was very generous of you and your team to send me a literal box of whiskey, which just made my week. I very much appreciate. Um, and I wanted to make sure I tasted through everything and I really kind of like wrote down my thoughts and everything. Um, but I, I, I gotta admit, like I started a little too early and um, as the listeners are going to hear me complain about this season, unfortunately, I am was sentenced to 12 weeks hardwire fucking braces as an adult, which sucks. And it was burning the shit out of my mouth. Oh, does it, is it? I, I mean, I can't say I've had alcohol and braces at the same time, but mm-hmm. is there yeah. a substantial difference? Are you noticing like are flavors mm-hmm. coming through differently? I mean, I imagine braces generally will keep like unless you do a really good brushing before, like. There could be some savory notes or things that may, I'm not saying there's food stuck in your teeth all the time, but maybe there's <laughs> even just like the flavor of the alcohol touching any kind of non-organic material and then mm-hmm. that kind of being like a reaction. switched around. I mean, maybe mm-hmm. the alcohol like takes like a layer of the braces. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. But I'm sure maybe they're made I don't to need withstand to get them off. I could just this stuff. Drink it, drink it off. <laughs> you could drink, and, drink until the braces have melted away. Oh my God. Right? Well, that's so here's the thing. I think it's, that's a very scientific explanation, Seth. Thank you. But I think it's more of um, the fact that just the inside of my cheeks and lips are like cut up. So it was just burning me. The alcohol was just burning me. But I very much enjoyed tasting them. And we can talk about that a little bit later. But I'm interested to hear about you first. So, um, you know, I love learning about the brands people work for and everything. But I'm really interested in the people behind the brands. So um, first, if you don't mind um, introducing yourself to our listeners, tell them who you are and... Um, where you're from and what you do. Yeah, uh, I'm Seth Benheim. I'm the founder of Broken Barrel Whiskey. I also own uh, and manage another brand called Infused Spirits. It's a vodka and bitters company. Started in 2012. I took a leap of faith, quit my job, and went on my own to launch a, a vodka company and started tinkering with different infusions. It was literally called Infuse. And mm-hmm. so it was an infused vodka company and was tinkering in my grandmother's garage and kind of figuring things out. Uh, 2012, 2013, 2014, we kind of 
had product and were out in the market selling and getting distribution. And 2015, we got out of, uh, out of my grandma's garage for good <laughs> and got an office and got an investment and got, you know, paychecks and staff and HR and legal. And mm-hmm. we had contracts and shares and all these things that did not exist for the first few years. So, and again, I was 24 at the time. So mm-hmm. 2015. Well, yeah, I want to ask you yeah. about that. I want to ask you about that because it's interesting the way you tell the story. You're like, I took a leap of faith and quit my job. Like, you were 24, man. Like, what were you, like a stockbroker? <laughs> yeah. Were you a doctor? <laughs> like, <laughs> I took a leap of faith. No, that's the thing. I wasn't anything. And so it made right. taking that risk. I mean, I do talk to people that are significantly older all the time, people in their 40s, 50s, 60s, and even 70s that discuss and say, well, I've thought about starting my own brand and you know, depending on your financial situation, the amount of time and really, I think part of what this podcast is titled, if you've got the hustle to work it and do it and and really give a substantial amount of your time, I mean, I could never start, you know, the same style or, or strategize uh, the same style of company today that I did then, uh, mm-hmm. almost 12 years ago, 11 years ago. Because I've got young children and yeah. I don't have, Baggage. I can't work nights. I can't be sitting there with the <laughs> yeah. bar. I have, I have rent to pay. I didn't have rent. I was living in a garage and, and yeah. with my parents and like kind of bouncing between the two. So I had no real expenses. I had no real debt. I have no, you know, I had no children. I wasn't married. So it made perfect sense to start. And I think that goes for a lot of business in general. It's not just a liquor business or a startup or a brand or consumer packaged good company. It's really anything. So there's a lot. I'm not saying don't be entrepreneurial, but certainly it helped that I didn't have all these drawbacks or not that a wife or kids are drawbacks, but they're certainly fighting for your time um, and deservingly so. But, you know, business really requires a lot of its founder, uh, startup business and, and entrepreneurial ventures require a lot from the, the founders. It's not always so easy. Yeah. Sometimes and it I, is, and I have to say you were probably an unusual 24-year-old because, you know, there's a lot of really hardworking people I know in their early 20s, especially, man, the newer generation, younger generation coming in, they're like a, a, from a different planet. But you had to be a little bit different to really go after it that young with that, you know, level of uh, enthusiasm, right? Because I think about when I was 24, my God, uh, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't starting up anything. Um, Maybe a car, maybe, maybe a bottle of wine. (laughs) I don't know. I was not, I was not thinking about starting a business at 24. So were you always a nerd or just? (laughs) (laughs) I was always uh, entrepreneurial. I had a small business that I, Mm -hmm. I mean, Somewhere in this office, I can show you. Actually, it's right over here. I was moving stuff around, so this is still sitting on my desk. But this is like my original business license from 2010. So I had started a small company in Arizona when I was still in college because I graduated 2011. So 2010 was my first real business where I went down to the courthouse and got my my stamp and my seal and all that stuff Mm -hmm. and created an LLC. So, you know, I I had a business in college and I was doing... I was doing fine with that. You know, I made money and was able to invest that money. And it was a really good push for the kind of person and the type of 
way I wanted to live my life. Uh, figured that out kind of early on, like sure. 19, 20 years old. So what was that business? Yeah. I did just online marketing for, you know, different folks. I got caught up in like a bunch of networking groups that would meet at like six in the morning and I would literally <laughs> put on a full suit. All right. Like with suit tie, the whole thing, and I'd show up and I'd chat with people. You know, I was nineteen and there were people in their thirties, forties, fifties and sixties who didn't know that you could build a Facebook page for your business or didn't know Smart. that you could list there were sections on Craigslist for painters and for uh, auto body mechanics. And so everyone in the networking group was like a different job. It was that kind of thing. It was funny, but you know, I would basically, none of them could sell me anything. I wasn't buying houses or getting At One time I traded ads for someone to come paint our senior year house, <laughs> like paint our rooms red or something like that. Nice. But yeah, no, there was, everyone was buying from me and I wasn't buying from anyone. So I was doing ads for everyone in the group and making, you know, money. That's great. You gamed the system. It worked in my favor for sure. Um, I wonder, I would love to talk about Infuse a little bit. So tell the listeners for a second, just when you started the business, what is the concept behind it? I'm mean, Obviously it's Infused Spirits, but I'm curious about like how it was differentiated from like the bigger houses that were doing something similar. Yeah, we wanted to create a product that would be shelf stable and, and bring real ingredients to the fold. So rather than doing, and I wanted people to see that and understand that without being told it. And so, you know, at the time it was like Grey Goose, this is 2012. So there were like Mm -hmm. some budding new craft vodkas that were kind of showing up with natural flavors. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I think like maybe there was like Square One was a cool one. Yep. Um, I think they're still around. Hanson, Hanger, there was a couple. Mm -hmm. And I saw the packaging and it was like, yeah, infused with real lemon. It's like, okay. But I'm looking at another bottle of clear vodka. So it didn't really, uh, they, at the time, this has changed. I think vodka has really right-sized all of its pricing predominantly because of Tito's and other, mm-hmm. you know, Deep Eddy. And there's kind of like these Goliaths that really set the price for what is good. And everyone else kind of has to play ball and figure out how to work their own margins on their end to make sure mm-hmm. the consumer is not paying you know, 50% more because it says infused. But at the time, at the time when I started, it was like $35 a bottle for Hanger and it was $22 for Grey Goose. And we all kind of took it as fact because of marketing that Grey Goose was the best vodka. And so we're going to pay this much more just because it says infused. Well, the idea was let's show people it's infused rather than have to say it at all. Now then we called the entire thing infused because it made sense and we didn't want to like, have to say, oh, this is an infused vodka and make sure that that was known. We just called it infused and simply look at the bottle. There's lemon in the bottle. So it was a single bottle infusion. Mm -hmm. And we put real lemon in one bottle. We put real grapefruit in another. We did a cinnamon apple, a mango habanero, and a a peach. Did you have somebody on on your team that was like in food science that could kind of I don't know, I guess, direct you into the, you know, just the science behind putting real, real ingredients in the bottle and keeping them shelf stable. Like, how did you manage that? A lot of research online, did it all myself, sent Mm -hmm. everything off to food science labs to have them do oxidation studies and shelf life Mm -hmm. studies. Uh, They tested everything for its sugar content, making sure and uh, verifying everything was gluten free. You know, they did all of that. And so that was... Just me. I just did everything. <laughs> Wearing all the hats. That's what you do. Wearing Entrepreneur all the style. Hats. In a garage. 
uh, or yep. a basement, uh, you know, depending on what you're doing. Um, where did you come across the idea for Broken Barrel? We were diversifying in Fuse in 2017. We had run, I think, as fast as we were going to run with the brand and the money we had at the time. And so we said, you know what? It's just getting really monotonous and boring to pick up the phone and say, do you want to take a meeting, Mr. Bar or Mrs. Restaurant? Do you want to see our flavored vodkas? They were like, we don't need a flavor. We need a hole in the head. Like, we need another flavored vodka. But somehow... (laughs) The conversation was very easily uh, sidestepped by saying, you know what, we've got a craft portfolio of spirits, which include whiskey, bitters, and vodka. Mm-hmm. They took every meeting, we, every meeting was an immediate, yeah, sure, come on by. Now, did they end up buying the vodka? Tons. Like, I would say 60% of those meetings, they ended up buying the vodka that had I called and said, hey, we want to show you this vodka, mm-hmm. they would have said no. So by having so the whiskey a was the Trojan horse. Yeah. <laughs> the whiskey was the Trojan horse. Oh, the whiskey sold great. I mean, sure. we had we had good early on success. I think ultimately we and the market were like, okay, this is a cool idea for this whiskey that's infused because that was kind of the the theme and the branding. Mm-hmm. But infusing was not so different from finishing, which was really picking up traction and finished whiskeys of all but exploded um, in every sense. And, you know, pioneers like Angel's Envy and Maker's Mark and others have really um, ushered in the era of the finished whiskey, you know, Mm -hmm. to the point where you get to brands now that are doing, you know, pineapple, Mexican, vanilla, chocolate, you know, (laughs) finishing. It's like, is this finished or is this flavored? Yeah, it's crossing Um, the line. Yeah, I actually interviewed Blurring um, the line for sure. Blurring the line for sure. I actually interviewed... Chris Reesbeck from Barrel recently, and they've you know they, they've made their entire business model just in, in finished whiskeys, um, and I think it's it's really interesting how like the last few years our interest level and willing to pay more for whiskey has just like grown exponentially in in this category. I'm curious. Um, actually, you know, it'd be, let's take a step back here. Would you mind telling our listeners a little bit about Broken Barrel and what you guys are doing with the whiskey that's different than what everybody else is doing? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So the launch in 2017 was just Infused Spirits Broken Barrel Bourbon. So the main the main label, main logo was Infused still, and then at the bottom it just said Broken Barrel Whiskey. By 2019, we decided, okay, we're going to call this thing Broken Barrel and take Infuse off of it entirely. And we're not even going to use the word Infuse in any single mm-hmm. part of the label or branding or marketing. And by 2021, we had changed everything to not just not say infuse but to become this individual completely separated brand with its own bottle its own brand new set of logos older whiskey produced bottled uh, grain to glass in kentucky so it completely morphed i mean we were sending kentucky whiskey to nevada for a few years uh, prior to really truly separating so there were a few years there where we were putting out I think the first year it was nine-month-old whiskey. The next year it was one-year-old whiskey. The year after that, it was one- and two-year-old whiskey, but it still wasn't straight bourbon. And we were growing as older whiskey became available to us. We were growing with the producer. Um, at the time, it was OZ Tyler, which then became Green River and is, of course, now owned by Bardstown. So we were 
slowly but surely expanding and launching new SKUs. Like we brought out the rye and we brought out the cast strength bourbon and then we brought out uh, California oak. Then we kind of have slowly stopped making California oak and changed over to a new one called Americana, which is an American whiskey, which is awesome. Delicious, by the um, way. Thank you. Yeah, it's a good one. And the concept, to answer your question, Broken Barrel is a finished whiskey. Everything we make is finished. We use staves, not whole barrels. And we combine staves from different barrel types, whether they're new oak or used barrels that had formerly rye or bourbon or, in a lot of instances, wine, sherry, Mm -hmm. apple, brandy. I mean, these are all just, uh, we use French oak, we use American oak. And then in our limited editions, which are, you know, they're offered in black, matte black bottles, Uh, they're produced entirely by me and my team here outside of Kentucky, where we are able to monitor every single drop of the liquid. You know, we can taste it at any, we can taste it five times a day or mm-hmm. once every five weeks or however often we deem necessary based on our release schedules and calendars. So we've done, we've done whiskey finished with Mezcal, Sotol, Armagnac. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, we've done one Amburana, won't do another one. Uh, <laughs> we've done uh, PX Sherry, we've done Port, we've done Cognac, we've done Peach Brandy, Apple Brandy, American and Calvados. We've done Mizunara. There's quite a bit. Like went, a, just the ones yeah. that you guys sent me, there was quite like a range. I, I um, So, okay, so, like, so I'm understanding the process here. You have a finished whiskey, straight bourbon in most cases, that you are then adding the staves into. Are you doing them... If there's like a mix, for example, like you've got some that are um, like French oak and um, sherry barrels or staves, are you putting them in at the same time? Or are you doing them one by yes. one, like how, all at the same time? And then they have like a secondary aging with the staves in them. Is that correct? Uh, so it's it's a Kentucky straight bourbon or rye or in the instance of Americana, it's a mm-hmm. Indiana straight whiskey. They're aged to the age statement that were allowed, you know, to, to be called straight or especially mm-hmm. the ones, single barrels that have age statements on them. We've done five, six, seven year. From there, they're dumped into a tank, either individually or blended or batched, mm-hmm. uh, what have you. And then the broken barrel staves are added physically into the tank floating around in the whiskey yep. In tandem. So the French oak, the sherry, and the ex-bourbon staves are going in at the exact same time Mm -hmm. in the exact ratio listed on the bottle. We call this our oak bill. So every bottle will have the mash bill and the oak bill listed on the side of the label. So there's no mystery as to like what kind of staves are in this one versus that one, what batch number is it, what year was it bottled. Everything is listed on the label. That's very cool. And how long do they stay in that tank for? varies i mean three months seven months uh the longest we have is actually still going it's a two-year uh finish so it varies every batch is different depending on when it starts and then when it eventually comes out of the uh the barrels or out of the tanks hold up 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. I wonder, as you know, because you're in, the, in this community as well, um, whiskey people are particular. Do you get like pushback? Do you get, or is it the opposite? Are you like embraced for being, as you uh, refer to yourself on your LinkedIn as a heretic? Do you um, do you embrace the like? Do you do you get embraced by these people, or do you get pushback, or like how, what's the response been? Um, overwhelmingly positive. The response is almost typically all, that's really cool, never seen that before. Man, this tastes different, man, this tastes good. Uh, there is always gonna be the one or two outliers that are purists. You know, they want their 10-year-old Kentucky straight bourbon. They don't drink Angel's Envy or this stuff or, or you know, finished whiskeys. I'm not gonna change those people's minds. I think the mass majority of consumers don't even know what finishing is and mm-hmm wouldn't have any clue or really care if you told them. So you have to play to a few different areas. You have to play to, you know, the the person walking in who just happens to discover it at a liquor store in Texas or, you know, someone who tries it at a grocery store in California or discovers it at a bar in Boston. And Mm -hmm. not one of those people might be the same person or the same, have the same uh, agenda when they're going out to discover or, have something marketed to them or sold to them by someone standing in a liquor store promoting it or, or an ad shows up that they didn't, you know, necessarily know, but they see the bottle. It looks pretty. Some people just, it's the right price or the right package for them. And they just want to try it. Or they, they see Kentucky on there and they go, I like Kentucky whiskey. I've never had this one. Boom. They never even turn the bottle to see that it's got French Oak or Sherry mm-hmm. cask or any of that. And even if they did, they may not care. Yeah. There's definitely a couple different camps. I know. And there's right. and there's definitely like different camps. There's the people who are like 
the whiskey purist people. But I feel like by and large, most people, especially like bar, the bar community, it's like, does it taste good? Do you like it? Is it versatile? Like, is it functional? And like most people who are not in the industry, they just want the, something that tastes good. They're like, oh, this is delicious. Yeah. They're not like into the process so much. So um, I think it's very cool. I just want to say that um, I, I think the the everything you guys are doing is cool. I tasted all of them uh, today. I hadn't power tasted that many whiskeys um, in a row since I did my W set three spirits, and I was I was a little a little oh, rusty. Wow. I was like, <laughs> I, I'm a little rusty. But um, I first I want to talk about the different ones I tried because it, they were all very cool. Um, I really liked the Americana. I feel like that I tried it last night and today, um, and I feel like it's just such a smooth, easy to drink. Um, surprisingly smooth, like like you don't get the heat from it. It's a hundred proof, right? And and it just does not drink like a hundred. Yeah, that's that's kind of the initial response from most people is why is this so easy to drink? And this is uh, one person called it crushable, another person called it sessionable, and another mm-hmm. person said it was refreshing. So mm-hmm. you know, I'm talking, when I say people, I'm talking about like Drink Hacker and you know Breaking Bourbon and some of these, you know well uh well established and and well recognized reviewers that have mm-hmm. their their blogs or their sites that are um kind of go-tos for people at least in the industry and maybe even others um not far outside the industry that yeah. take an interest in it it's definitely uh, the more consumer. dangerous of them because you i i definitely don't see the brakes pumped as easy with that one <laughs> um i'm curious about the apple so one of the staves you're using for that is apple brandy where yes. are you getting the apple brandy from? Uh, they're Laird's barrels. Oh, so okay. So American, American apple brandy barrels. There aren't too many apple brandy producers, and so they're the there's largest. One in, there's one in Kentucky. Yeah. Oh, there are. Yes. Yeah. We're, we're not getting uh, Copper and King's barrels, I don't believe. You know, I know um, them very well. <laughs> I've, are we, maybe we could uh, connect uh, and, and get to know those. I've been there and I've met some folks there and I've got some of their business cards, but I've, I've not, you know, they've done so much stuff um, with Bardstown Bourbon Company. We try to, we try our best to, try, to do things that haven't been done. Sure. Uh, and it's hard. It's a very, you know, it's a very copycat industry and we've done stuff that other people had done before us and we've, you know, we've done stuff that no one's ever done, but now people will think, oh, well, maybe I'll try that out and, you know, I think you'll start to see more so toll barrel finishes, for example, yeah. coming out. That we're was happy surprising. That we, yeah, we had, I think, one of the first ever, I think it was the first, I don't know of any other whiskeys that have released that are finished with Sotol, but we did Sotol and Honey to kind of balance. It was a kind of a fun yep. experiment. We yeah, love that it was label. great. I, I love that one. I think that I at first I didn't get so uh, so much like smoke, and then uh, like definitely on the finish, I was getting I was as I was breathing out, I was getting that smoke. So it's it's um it's delicious. Yeah, I was really excited to try that one. I was also wondering about the um, black um, what has it pronounced Huerte? Huerte Her- uh, or Heart? You can heart. call it Heart or Black Heart or Black Huerte if you're saying it. Um, it's a Danish word. Oh, okay. Where'd the, where'd uh, that come from? That's the name of the liqueur we partnered with. So they're oh. actually called Black Herte. Okay. Uh, it's it's a product made by Laurel Canyon Spirits. They're based in LA, but they produce all of their liqueurs up in San Jose, up in Northern California. So they basically contract out uh, this distillery up there, and 
they take it's like a takeover and they make all their spirits a few times a year and then they go out <laughs> and sell them but they so cool. they're one of the few companies that barrel ages coffee liqueur and we're mm-hmm. the first rye whiskey that ever finished the rye whiskey with coffee liqueur barrels so mm-hmm. it's not a coffee flavored whiskey which we don't do flavored anything on mm-hmm. broken barrel what we do is we finish with we try to extract flavors specifically and only from oak that prior contents of whatever that flavor or note that we're looking to extract is from. It was cool because they had uh, blood orange coffee liqueur. So mm-hmm. we did two-thirds coffee liqueur, one-third blood orange coffee liqueur. And literally when Wild. we broke the barrels, and probably worth mentioning, when we say break barrels, like if you go to our Instagram, which is just broken barrel whiskey, you'll see videos of us, of me predominantly, uh, smashing barrels with a sledgehammer and <laughs> like obliterating them to pieces. Mm-hmm. And then we pick up those pieces and we use them. But when we broke that, that blood orange, the peels, the little like brown shriveled up, you know, coffee liqueur soaked peels just tumbled out. And it was such a sight to see because normally there's just wood char in a barrel. There's yeah. usually not any whole ingredients because we've never really done. I mean, we did Amaro, but that's not really a liqueur. We yeah. finished a single malt with Amaro casks, but this was a fun. It was interesting. It was very, very, very cool. different to see that. Um, I I know this is such a basic girl question, but I make espresso martinis with reposado tequila and every now and then with a whiskey. Ooh. You should try to make an espresso martini with that. I, I tasted it and I literally was like, I'm going to make an espresso martini with this tonight. I'm going to let you know. We how have. It is. It's very oh, good. Have. It's very have. good. We're, <laughs> we're trying to get, I mean, it's an expensive product because of its mm. limited uh, you know, release. We only got so many of those specialty barrels. They only dump them so many times a year. And mm-hmm. we tried to use you know, better quality whiskey, um, older whiskey as well. And so we, we are selling those. They're like 90 bucks, 90 and up. So it is an expensive espresso martini for sure. <laughs> but we do have a, we have a really fancy spot here in LA. Um, it's, it's, it's like in Beverly Hills, like right off of Rodeo Drive. And they, we showed it to them and they're like, oh, this would be a great $50 espresso martini. And <laughs> in that neighborhood, in this area, like they yeah. might actually be able to sell a few of those because there's 100%. those, you know, Richie, rich people that'll walk into an establishment like that and they'll drop yep. $50 for an espresso martini. And it's like, that's super cool. Like that, Sprinkle that would be, some gold leaf it, on it. I know. It's like, <laughs> what a concept. What a concept that somebody not only was like, let's do this. And we're just going, yeah, uh, I think that works actually. No. Maybe they can, put, if they can pull it off, Seth, power people to them, do man. that. It's, I have, um, there's a tequila in my portfolio that is on the shelf, $179. And Ooh. when we present it, to restaurants and bars every now and then we'll get somebody who'll be like oh we're gonna make a high-end margarita with this and it's like it's like a 50 dollars margarita and they're just yeah. like crushing them i was like okay if you can sell I can't a 50 dollars margarita <laughs> i'm probably not the customer for these kind of things uh i'm i'm super cheap when it like you know i'm <laughs> i'm easy going some of my favorite whiskeys are like 15 dollars bottles you know it's i'm not picky and well, that's not true. I am picky, but <laughs> I have good taste with beverage. But it's certainly, you know, I, I think there's always going to be these drop-offs of quality at certain price points. And, you know, sure. you you start to, every once in a while, it's like I could have one, you know, espresso martini made with X and Y, or I could have three espresso martinis made with this, you know, 
standard ingredients. I don't know. I think your heart would stop if you had three espresso martinis. Although, although I have been with people before accepted. who have had many, many, many. Challenge espresso accepted. Martinis. I think I could put away three espresso <laughs> martinis. You know what's funny? Um, I was I was said to the other day to a friend of mine who very much enjoys espresso martinis. I said espresso martinis are just the Red Bull vodka for us now that we're older. <laughs> oh, a hundred percent true. So this, we're the same people. <laughs> I remember there was the there was the Red Bull vodka slushies they started doing oh down by like in San Diego and different areas. Yeah. They would have these uh, frozen vodka Red Bulls. And it's like, I bet you there's, if you go now, I haven't, you know, I don't really go to a lot of bars, especially with young kids and working in a bar basically nine to five every day. But I bet you, I bet you they're espresso martini slushies like all over the place now and I just haven't seen them yet but I bet you they're there oh my god I wanted to ask you know it sounds like you were very entrepreneurial did a lot of things on your own but who would you say is like your biggest mentor in the spirits industry I've had uh, I've had several mentors along my way and I'll probably forget some of them um or to name them but uh the first was Steve Lip he was a, a Scotsman who took a a risk in in helping me out in the very 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 beginning um when I was in the garage like he came to the garage and met me there a few times and I would meet him at his Hollywood penthouse overlooking the Hollywood sign and yeah I, I looked him up online and cold called him explained my concept uh for infused vodka and he had me over, had me meet some people that he liked and had them vet me and the idea. And, you know, after some time, you know, a few months, uh, I was helping him with his websites actually, cause I was pretty good on the computer, at least better than he was. So I was doing some research for him and he was paying me a little bit to do that. Cause I basically, you know, he told me, I want to work with you. I don't know what we're going to do, but I want to work with you. And so I said, great. So I basically quit my job after that. And then to make ends meet in the beginning, I was working for him and he taught me really everything I know about spirits. Hmm. Um, you know, at the time I, I maybe had a bottle of wild turkey and maybe a couple little like, you know, flavored vodkas and some stuff, you know, this basic bar stuff. And he had this penthouse with, kid you not, million dollars of scotch. It was amazing. And so wow. I saw that and I was like, man, I want to be like that when I grow up and <laughs> I want to have like, this library of liquor. And I totally, I, I think probably have more <laughs> bottles than he has now. His I bottles are just so. worth, you just have to add a zero to all, literally add a zero to all of my bottles cost. And that's what he has. <laughs> so he's got more, more dollars. I've got more volume mm-hmm. um, and more eclectic. All he has is scotch. I've got everything. So yeah, he was the first. And then he introduced a guy named Tony who, you know, the two of them went on to create Howlerhead. Uh, that's their mm-hmm. brand. So they launched that and brought in some other people to run it. And then that got sold to Campari or invested into Campari and, you know, has the UFC involved. So, uh, you know, really, really um, meaningful people in the industry have, have mm-hmm. come to work with me. And, you know, I, I've got other other great mentors. You know, our, our, our now current CEO, Simon Birch, is awesome. He's a good mentor. Um, he has a newer relationship. My CFO, uh, Chris Campbell, who came from a beer company um, and just uh, Craft Brew Alliance. Yeah, you know, amazing people, really, really smart people that have taught me a ton. My, even my biggest and longest standing investors 
Uh, one's an investment banker, the other is, you know, a, more of a real estate mogul. And they taught me a ton, just a ton. So everyone I work with and a lot, of, everyone I just mentioned is mm-hmm. at least 20 years older than me, mm-hmm. every single one of them. So I've learned a ton from people. And I spend most of my time with people that are about 20 years older than me at a minimum, sometimes 30 years mm-hmm. older than me. So that's my world. Yeah. <laughs> that's what, so people that are my... 20 years older than you or babies? <laughs> babies at home, people that are old enough to be my parents or older, uh, grandparents even, um, is my day-to-day. Let me most ask you a question. Conversations. Is the plan for you, just because I... I can see in you the type of person who's like on to the next thing, on to the next thing, like ideator, you know, innovator type person. Is the plan for Broken Barrel to get big enough, especially with your new CEO, like that you have, you know, a goal of like selling it and then moving on to the next thing? Or is this like your baby, you're doing it forever, you're like all in? I mean, the intention for Broken Barrel is for it to be a brand that is here when my kids are 21, that they could come work at the company. Like that would be a dream, you know, for me. I don't know if my kids want to work for a whiskey company or a vodka <laughs> company or even a spirits industry job, period. Maybe they will, maybe they won't. But I'd be fascinated to hear kind of like how you ended up, because my, my parents don't drink. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody, I, I found my way into this industry a thousand percent on my own. No one pushed me towards it. No one suggested it to me. I found it, discovered it for myself and got into it completely, you know, 100%. I don't want to say by accident, but just, you know, on, on its own. It didn't, it wasn't something, there was no relationship that led me here other mm-hmm. than just from within calling and, sure. and asking and trying to, you know, experiment and explore and just getting one step further at a time. But I mean, well, it's in a good your case, industry like, to make money in. I mean, I, it's recession proof, you know, on one hand, <laughs> because like the, a lot of things can be falling apart and this business still thrives. Um, and people in this industry make, uh, I think a disproportionate amount of money, maybe not on the distillery winery side, but like in that middle tier section, there's a lot of money being made. You know, I've worked in supply and distribution now for 11 years, almost 12 years. Yeah. And I, I came to this industry um, out of necessity. Like a lot of people that work in the restaurant industry, like I had no money and I was on my own. Um, and I started working in a restaurant when I was, ugh, I mean, I started working in a pizza place when I was 13 and then restaurants and then bartending and then managing restaurants and, you know, really just out of necessity because I had, I had no safety net anywhere. So, you know, and then you learn a lot about, wine and spirits. I mean, there are people who don't learn anything about wine and spirits at bartend. <laughs> like, I don't know how, but they manage yeah. it, which is also quite amazing. But I, I, I absorbed so much. And eventually, like, you know, like you're, I'm sure you understand this now, you can't do late nights with small children anymore. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to be well into my thirties and forties and like not have weekends off. So, you know, I just did the transition into the, the wine and spirit supply distribution side just as a way yeah. of like taking the knowledge and applying it somewhere else. I will say it's very different than it does feel disconnected sometimes from the brands themselves because they be, they become brands and you forget that there's people attached to these brands, um, which is why Always, I very much yeah. enjoy talking to you and people like you because I, I definitely am very aware that there's a person 
behind a label and there's someone's hard work behind a label and it's not just, you know, a product with GP, you know? Yep. So <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I think a lot of people do, a lot of people do find their way into this from working retail or working restaurant and they, you know, they, they see the, the person coming in and go, Oh, like, it's nice you get off at five or six, you know, when you're done selling because we're done buying. So you're mm-hmm. not, you know, you get to go home and see your family. And so the supply side from a distro or brand rep or, you know, mm-hmm. the suppliers themselves and those companies and all the jobs that exist within, you know, people forget like, oh, I could go be a, I could go through it, you know, through chemistry and science. I can get there through sales. I can get there through operations and logistics and, mm-hmm. you know, there's different jobs throughout. So it's kind of cool to see how people find their way into the industry. But I think yours is probably a little more of a traditional track where like, I never bartended. I never worked mm-hmm. in a restaurant, not a day in my life. I, I would, I would like to have had just to have more experience in that. But I just kind of like went head first and started sure. so young and early on that like it really, there wasn't, I could have, I guess I could have bartended in the last year of college or year after college in theory, but that was really it. That, that would have been the time. I could have spent like, less time bartending and more time building a business and I'd be in much better position right now. So like <laughs> a lot of important skills are learned behind a bar, but uh, I probably could have spent a little less time doing it. I kind of got stuck there. It's it's hard not to. There's a lifestyle attached to it as well. And, and yeah. um, you know, the, the bar bar people will tell you like bar community is your family. It's very different than other jobs where you kind of check in and you check out and a bar is like the whole world. That is your entire ecosystem. Those people there are like they become your family because you spend so many hours with them. It's like mm-hmm. so it's it's definitely um, it's definitely a world you can get sucked into for sure. I'm curious to hear a little bit about your your distribution model currently and like where you are and how you're managing that. Uh, we are in 40 states and Canada. And, oh, cool. You know, the states extend from. Florida, all the way to Alaska, to Washington, California, New York, uh, actually further, uh, New Hampshire, you know, we, we have product in a lot stores? of places. Uh, yeah. New Hampshire state stores. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very cool. And sorry, where are you based out of? I live in Connecticut. So I cover, um, so for my job, I cover all of the Northeast. Um, I manage our fine wine craft spirits portfolio. The thing is I have such an interest in, just what everyone is doing, not just what I'm doing. I'm generally intrigued and, you know, by these conversations and by sitting down with other people in the industry and talking to them and understanding what makes their product different or how they make mm-hmm. it or, or, you know, what inspired them. And it, all that stuff is deeply interesting to me as well. So I love, mm-hmm. you know, the two-way conversation. I'm, I'm, hey, you should listen to my podcast. That's literally all I do. <laughs> I will. I will. I, I am. I'd love to go back. And what I do is I try to like go back, find the episode I was on of a certain podcast, and mm-hmm. then I'll start going to the one before it or the one all after right, it. Or kind of right, like right. I start with mine and then I go back up and down. Cause I, and in full transparency, I've been on um, a bajillion. I, I saw it on a, your website. A few, a few podcasts, not to mention. So we did 50 episodes mm-hmm. of a podcast. It was an interesting little entrepreneurial thing because. I met this guy, was on his podcast. We really hit it off. I was like, dude, you're really good at this. He's like, yeah. And I'm like, I wanted to start a podcast. He goes, no way. I go, yeah. And he goes, well, I I used to work in booze. I said, really? He goes, yeah, I was a brewer at Golden Road Brewery in LA. And I was like, oh, shit, like that's awesome. And so he knew a a lot more than he let on 
about just he had, he had a great palate. He really understood mm-hmm. spirits. And we had, a you know, for the most part, we had a pretty aligned sense of things. And then I had obviously a lot of connections and knew how to get in touch with all kinds of brands and, and distillers and people I'd met over the years mm-hmm. that at that point, which is even more now. And we started this little podcast. And after nine episodes, we took it to these uh, online companies and pitted a few of them against each other to buy it from us. Because mm-hmm. uh, everything I do ends up becoming some kind of a <laughs> deal or a business or a venture. So we sold it to one of these groups and they got, we reskinned the first nine episodes to be this new name. New, like we chopped out all the mentions of what we were calling ourselves originally to the new name. And then we did another 41 episodes. But it ended up becoming way too much video and way too much like mm. hawking, you know, overpriced bottles on this guy's platform. It was like, you know what? And I, as we were building Broken Barrel out, I was, got really scared of it being this thing where. I would be seen as the face of someone trying to push $500 bottles of Blanton. And I was like, mm. that's not, that is the last thing I want to be known for yeah. or be seen doing. So we very quickly said, you know what? If the, we, we said, look, we only want to do podcasts. That's it. We want to stick to the agreement. And he's like, and we, you know, we, we need video. We need all this other stuff. I said, not going to do it. So we yeah. parted ways and that was it. Smart. But it was, no, it's it worked smart. out. It was a good experience overall. Uh, I loved the people I got to interview. I think the podcasts themselves, I'd say about half of them are really good. Like they're just, mm-hmm. there's really good meat in there that you learn a lot because there were some really interesting guests who, yep. um, like you said, like Barrel Craft Spirits that we spoke with someone. He's not there anymore, but he was really knowledgeable. And I always remember that episode yeah. being really informative to me, even as a brand owner who knows a lot about this stuff, that he was very very smart and very knowledgeable about mm-hmm. uh, the industry and the bartenders we interviewed had some two of our bartender episodes were arguably our best one was with a guy on mezcal and another was with about rum and we actually had the head chef from lost spirits on and oh, cool. it was awesome just really That's really awesome. cool uh content that we got to create and be a part yeah. of so all right i'm gonna come visit you next time i'm in la yeah uh, you guys have a tasting a- room or what yeah, just a tiny little tasting room with like 2,000 bottles of booze. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right, well, I'll, uh, I'll come with a full stomach, um, and I won't have braces on, and then I'll be able to enjoy more um, alcohol without burning the shit out of my mouth. But yeah. um, you're a delight. I really enjoyed talking to you. Obviously, it's easy to talk to you because you've been on 975,000 podcasts. I'm sure this one's your favorite. Um, it's by far the best. <laughs> Number one. Awesome. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm-hmm.